hello everyone. Um, another one of these episodes. Uh, I'm afraid uh, we're going to talk uh, about Robin Williams, uh, who sadly died last week. Uh, very kind of tragic circumstances, very sudden. Uh, very suddenly. Um, what did he mean to you, Ed? Uh, well, when I was uh, I first heard the news that he'd passed, the thing that kind of came to me was that he was uh, the first person I was really aware of of being funny. Mm. Like he defined for me as a kid what the idea of comedy was uh, through certainly through Aladdin, which was the first film uh, I remember seeing featuring him, uh, and you know, sort of Mrs. Doubtfire and stuff like that. That really broad comedy. Uh, so, so like from a young age, he was kind of someone who was always in the background of my life, and someone who was always in stuff that I enjoyed. But then, you know, as uh, time went on, he was someone who I who always seemed to surprise me. You know, as I discovered, oh, he's got this career as a you know a very energetic and frequently very filthy stand-up, which was uh, quite an eye opener when uh, you used to him from things like Aladdin and Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, or, uh, you know, he's got this kind of very uh, strong career as a dramatic actor and things like that. He was someone who, you know, uh, contained multitudes. And he was always someone who kind of I, I was constantly kind of surprising and doing things I, I didn't expect. In terms of yeah, people who have gone from comedy to uh, dramatic roles, he is uh, uh, kind of head and shoulders above uh, his contemporaries in that sense, isn't he? Yeah, because he was pretty much the biggest comedy star in the world in sort of the 80s and much of the 90s. And he seemed capable of doing it all. You know, if you look at his IMDb page, you know, you see stuff like, you know, he did, uh, I think he did like Flubber the same year he did Goodwill Hunting, uh, which is, you know, quite a, uh, quite a, a stark contrast in terms of projects in terms of both quality and uh, sort of intent and their impact on the kind of broader world. I think, you know, his sort of insane productiveness, which only really slowed down after he had a uh, heart attack in 2009, meant that he pretty much always had three or four films in cinemas in any given year. And he always had, then they were always really quite varied. And it's, uh, you know, looking back on his body of work now, I think it's, hard to think of any actors who had such a a broad uh, body of work over sh- such a sort of relatively short period of time. Yeah, um, and when you say broad, I mean, he did some very broad films, things like, you say, Flubber and uh, Bicentennial Man and, and Patch Adams, things like that, the kind of, um, should we say, terrible films. Um, um, but then he would also have uh, things like The Fisher King or Kubo Hunting, like you say, or Awakenings or uh, films in which he would just, you know, act his balls off um, and defy the expectations of someone that you'd expect to see, that you'd just seen playing a kind of crazy scientist you meant in Flubber. Absolutely. I think that he he seemed to do, to be someone who was uh, not necessarily like hugely calculating in terms of his career. I think he just liked to work but you could definitely see that he was someone who would do a film that looked like it would be a big paycheck in order that he could afford to do, you know, appear in films that were of, of a smaller scale or often, you know, just show up in films made by people he really enjoyed working with and who he liked, mm. uh, you know, and sort of who 
would allow him to uh, fulfill whatever his kind of creative urges were that uh, arguably were not satisfied by uh, Mrs. Doubtfire or Flubber. Mm. Um, you kind of too young to remember Morgan Mindy, or uh, I'm aware of it in, as something that people reference, but I never really watched it as a kid. No, oh, yeah. So I, I I remember it being on, and you know when you're younger and there's a TV show that's always on, mm. and it's it's familiar to you, but you couldn't perhaps sit down and recount episode details and you know, plot things happening. But I'd always remember. I, I think it's probably because I used to tune into a show that started just after Morecambe Indian. Morecambe Indian would always end with Robin Williams, you know, sending a message home. Um, so I always remember those little bits. So that was always my first kind of introduction to him. Uh, and then for me, something like Good Morning Vietnam, um, mm. I was, because I think, I think I might have seen that and thought he was a serious actor rather than a comedian. I didn't really know his background at all. Um, if you take out any idea that he is a stand-up or a kind of manic performer, um, his body of dramatic work is is kind of second to none, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I definitely think that he was someone who had the this very kind of empathetic quality as an actor. And I think that if you look at both his comedic and his dramatic work, they're often both driven by a kind of a desire for connection, which, you know, in... Comedy, I think, is kind of that idea of wanting to be validated by a crowd and, you know, the the idea of laughter as being the ultimate indicator of whether or not you're doing your job well. Uh, and, you know, in in drama, that was more just kind of a, a keen kind of sense that his characters who are often outcasts and uh, losers and people kind of forgotten by society, particularly in something like uh, The Fisher King, which I think is probably his, his best performance and mm. uh, one of the ones that makes the best use of his kind of full range of his skill set, uh, he could kind of do both of those things really well. He could be, he could really go for the laugh, but he could also have this sense that he just really wanted to connect with other people in the world. Um, he won his Oscar for Good Will Hunting, um, which um, could so easily have been a really kind of flat uh, character. Uh, I mean, I, I remember when uh, Good Will Hunting came out, I was kind of obsessed with, with script writing and I was buying all the scripts that I could and, and Faber and Faber did like a range of, you know, a lot of scripts. And I, I bought the Good Will Hunting one and I, I can always remember reading through it and on the page, the character of Sean, you know, the character he plays is is on the page really very flat and uninteresting and kind of a two-dimensional, oh, he's a counsellor, but he's also a Vietnam veteran. He's got his own problems. His wife died. Hmm. but Robin Williams brings a kind of levity to that that isn't on the page. Yeah, he's it's a very uh, spiky performance from him, certainly in that scene on the bench with him and Matt Damon where he kind of chews him out. He has some kind of lines that are quite funny, hmm. but there's also kind of a deep kind of reserve of, of anger and also a desire to really want to help this, this kid who he's, has kind of fallen into his life. And that's a lot of, to kind of embody and you can really see why he was the, a great choice for that and, and why he kind of deserved all the kind of plaudits he got for that, even though kind of viewed in kind of the context of his career, it still seems really weird to think that Robin Williams was an Oscar winner. 
mm. uh, when you compare it to kind of like it to kind of the the stuff that was I think probably defined him more in kind of the public imagination. Can you clearly divide Robin Williams' work into not only comedic and dramatic, but also bearded and unbearded? And there's actually a, a strong correlation between the two categories that I've just marked out. Yeah, I think there's definitely a case. I think he was rarely kind of hugely funny when he had a beard. It's mm. kind of like, you know, Russell Crowe's thing. Whenever he's being serious, he puts on a bit of weight. Mm. Whenever uh, Robin Williams was doing serious work, whether it was you know, the Fisher King or, or Goodwill Hunting or even just that episode of Louis that he guest starred on. Mm. The beard was in full effect. And he very... had a, and Homicide Life on the Street, which he had a he had a very crucial role on as well. Is that, yeah. uh, is there extra kind of poignancy to that uh, episode of Louis, um, uh, given the kind of events of the last week? Uh, the episode, for those who haven't seen it, the episode of Louis from season three, I'm guessing? Uh, yes was when uh, Louis and Robin Williams meet up. They're the only people to attend uh, the funeral of a, of a comedian who no one liked. Um, uh, and, yeah, watching that now has a kind of a, an added weight and an added uh, gravity. Yeah, especially because their last exchange after they've gone to a, a strip club that the comic had uh, wanted them to go to many, many times and they never went with him too and where yeah they uh, found out that he was beloved by the strippers and the clientele who uh, all have a uh, a quiet vigil to him whilst uh, Sister Christian plays loudly in the background mm-hmm. um, after they, they walk out you know they say bye and then uh, Robin Williams just kind of says uh, uh, oh uh, would you and then uh, Louis C.K. says oh yeah no I'll, I'll come to your funeral you know whoever dies first which is a line that, you know, obviously plays very differently now than it did two years ago. Mm. Um, did you see uh, World's Greatest Dad? I did. I love that film. It's great. Uh, for, for I think if, if you listen to our show um, and you kind of like the films that kind of fall between the cracks, I mean, it's not like massively obscure or anything, um, but uh, World's Greatest Dad is, I mean, it's dark as shit, uh, but it's fucking funny. Yeah, I think that was one that was definitely one of the films that really made me reconsider Robin Williams, certainly in like the more recent years, because the last sort of decade or so, you know, he had in 2002, he had that great year where he did uh, Insomnia and uh, One Hour Photo. And I think there was one other film there. he had this this year where he did pretty much just serious films. Mm. Oh, no, he also did Death to Smoochie, which is not a serious film, but it is mm. a, a dark comedy. Mm. Um he uh, he had this year where he did all this this stuff and then he kind of went back to doing uh not very good comedies uh for a for a long period of time but uh you know then he did world's greatest dad which is a a a, a really kind of clever really kind of very very bleak and dark comedy in which again kind of plays to his strengths because he has to play someone who is you know, really kind of desperate and alone and, and wanting connection, but who also has to orchestrate this elaborate uh, fraud around sort of the death of his, uh, the death of his son. Uh, yeah. And that's a, that's a really wonderful film and his performance in it made me kind of reconsider, uh, made me re- remember that sort of Robin Williams was a, a great actor in, in addition to be someone who occasionally starred in films that weren't very good. Mm. Um, 
the kind of uh, I mean, it's great that uh, in the week since uh, he passed away, um, there's been a huge outpouring of uh, grief and kind of remembrance, and it, it kind of really does kind of kick into life how beloved he was. Um, I mean, it's often quite. I mean, I'm really pleased that we've given it a week before we recorded this episode um, because there was a huge outpouring and it seemed so genuine and so heartfelt mm. because he did such a wide range of work. And the amount of people I saw saying, you know, the first film I saw at the cinema was Jumanji or whatever, you know, um, or Aladdin, you know, big one. Um, uh, he meant so much to so many people. Um, it's lovely to see that. But on the flip side, um, a lot of the press coverage uh, of of his or particularly his suicide part of it uh, has been really ghoulish and kind of really unpleasant. It it definitely is, and I think in a in a way it reminds me a little bit of of Philip Seymour Hoffman's death. Uh, not just because obviously they they co-starred together, and it's really kind of horrible and unfortunate that their deaths are so kind of close together. Um, in the sense that you know both of them were people who were sort of public figures and who were well known and did work that people liked and respected a great deal but they they weren't people who kind of courted the tabloids they weren't people who kind of put themselves out there and you know for kind of the purposes of just being famous you know uh robin williams was someone who was very kind of candid and talking about his his problems in the past with addiction and and depression and he was someone who you know would always be out there working he was always go to like comedy clubs and kind of watch people and then if they asked him to get on stage he'd go on and do like 10 minutes just you know for fun and because people wanted him to be there and stuff and he would go and do improv nights in LA with people who were sort of 30 and 40 years younger than him and he just seemed like a guy who really loved being out there in the world but he wasn't someone who kind of courted uh uh controversy or, or wanted to be kind of seen as anything other than an actor and a performer mm-hmm. and so for him to suddenly be the centre of the tabloids, it kind of feels as if they've kind of stolen a celebrity who wasn't theirs. You know, a man who never wanted to be in the tabloids is kind of having all of his details kind of thrown out there. It just kind of feels kind of horrible. And, you know, it's something that you know wouldn't have happened if he died just suddenly of a heart attack because there's this other angle, you know, while he was depressed, you know, they have to kind of start raking up the details and it all uh, it all feels... Uh, really quite uh, quite horrible, really. Yeah, it's been a lot worse in America than it has been oh, God, uh, yeah. over here. Um, I mean, I think probably the worst we've got is, you know, the usual trying tears of a clown bullshit, which, mm. you know, if you're going to choose one way to completely oversimplify, uh, you know, the problems of uh, mental illness um, and depression and... Uh, uh, sobriety etc etc then uh, that's probably the worst way you can can perhaps undermine it but uh, I mean that's been quite lucky over here but I take it the American coverage has been yeah like I say uh, very macabre yeah the tears of the clown thing is is something that kind of in particular is feels wrong because it's often trotted out as we in kind of quite a well-meaning way certainly like I saw the the kind of the thing from Watchmen you know about Pagliacci Mm-hmm. uh that that which is a, a great piece of writing kind of being trotted out by people and you know trying to uh you know kind of as a as a comment on on his death and everything and you know that's obviously very well meaning and people using it in a nice way but it also feels 
like you say, a really kind of trite and much too easy kind of summation of a man who was clearly very complicated and, you know, had a great deal, kind of many issues that he ultimately wasn't able to uh, to overcome. Mm. Um, I suppose in all the, with all the kind of uh, horribleness and the kind of macabre details of, of everything that's happened, the only thing that was perhaps relevant was uh, that he had been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease uh, and he hadn't perhaps uh, come to terms with uh, dealing with that yet or wasn't perhaps ready to kind of share it with the public. Um, um, and, you know, uh, that is something that would have affected his career um, in a way that perhaps he couldn't have overcome. Yeah, I mean, everything about the whole situation is just really, really uh, sad. And I think that it's it's quite, it's, it's a kind of a, a good impulse that people want to, seem to ter- want to turn it into a kind of a teachable lesson for people mm-hmm. or teachable moment that, you know, people can learn more about depression and uh, and Parkinson's, which are things that aren't, I don't think, terribly well understood by the kind of the public at large. But, you know, it, uh, in the end, you know, it, it just kind of, compounds the sadness that a man who was so kind of funny and so full of life and who as you said kind of meant so much to so many people because he had such a very bodied of work that uh that something always seemed to resonate with someone you know uh you know it seems like he was the sort of person where everyone at the very least liked something he did and mm-hmm. often case loved a lot of the stuff that he did uh, you know, it just kind of compounds how kind of sad and tragic the whole thing is. Mm, absolutely. Um, not wanting to end on a massive bummer. Um, what's a favourite Robin Williams memory of yours? Uh, I think it was it. It's kind of tangential, but it's uh, the the Robert Altman version of Popeye is a mm. film that um I've got a great deal of, of affection for. I think it's a, a really funny, wonderful, and strange <laughs> film uh so many kind of weird components going into making uh, a musical based on a a very strange uh comic strip but uh you know my family are originally from malta or certainly my dad's side of the family are and uh, anyone who's ever been to malta will know that the set from popeye is still standing you know they rebuilt it after the film wrapped and they have it as a, an amusement park and uh as a kid, that was kind of my favourite place in the world to go because it was like, you know, being able to step into a movie. And so that that's kind of, uh, you know, my affection for for that film uh, played into that a lot. And, you know, I've got lots of happy memories of going there and just kind of walking around and imagining uh, Robin Williams in kind of the full makeup, kind of strutting around the place. Mm. Um, for me... Um... And it's a weird one because it's not from any film that he's in. Um, but kind of instantly when asked, yeah, someone asked me the other day, what's your your instant memory? I always am drawn to uh, the Oscars uh, 1998 or 9, I'm going to say 9, with uh, when he performed Blame Canada for <laughs> um, South Park, the movie. Now... Um, I don't know why that springs to mind because it's it's a kind of an exceptionally weird thing to pick up on because it's not a film that he starred in. But I think that's why I think of it because I think that the South Park guys had obviously been Oscar nominated. Uh, they turned up tripping their balls on acid dressed as Jennifer Lopez and Bjork and Puff Daddy. Um, 
And I think the guys were like, well, hang on, we've got to get someone to perform, <laughs> uh, blame Canada. And they were just like, well, who can we get? And, you know, let's get Robin Williams, instead of high-kicking mountains, let's do that. And ultimately, um, that's probably what cost them the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things I, I think people kind of really loved about him is he did seem to be up for anything. Mm. Uh, whether or not it was, like say, guest starring on Homicide Life uh, on the Street, which very sort of kind of dark and serious role, which uh, may inadvertently have left had led to the creation of The Wire because he rescued that show from cancellation uh, by kind of giving them this big guest star that they could build the whole show around and that gave them the ratings to kind of keep going for seven years and giving David Simon the experience and the connections he needed in order to uh, make his later work or, you know, getting on stage to sing Blame Canada or, you know, just kind of showing up in a comedy club and doing a quick performance. He did seem to be someone who would embrace any opportunity that came his way. Mm. Yeah, totally. Anyway, much too soon. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, not only a, a great actor and great comedian, but just seemed like a fucking awesome dude. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this last week has thrown up hundreds and thousands of just wonderful stories about what an, a thoroughly kind of decent human being he was. And I think that uh, it's best to kind of remember sort of just what a fantastic person he was uh, to kind of remind us of, you know, what a terrible loss it really is. Absolutely. And uh, there's so much to enjoy there. So go out and kind of dig out you know, the Fisher King and, and Cadillac Man and even Awakenings and watching him act uh, Robert De Niro off the screen in Awakenings, which the film isn't, you know, it's not, it's nothing special, but he's fucking awesome in that. Yeah, absolutely. He he, he was often great in films that quite, weren't quite up to him. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's us uh, on Robin Williams. Hopefully next time we'll have something a bit more like kind of fun to talk about. Yeah, uh, bye everyone, stay safe. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story of the Fisher King? No. It begins with the king as a boy, having to spend the night alone in the forest to prove his courage so he can become king. Now, while he's spending the night alone, he's visited by a sacred vision. Out of the fire appears the Holy Grail symbol of God's divine grace. And a voice said to the boy, you shall be keeper of the grail so that it may heal the hearts of men. But the boy was blinded by greater visions of a life filled with power and glory and beauty. And in this state of radical amazement, he felt for a brief moment not like a boy, but invincible, like God. So he reached in the fire to take the grail, and the grail vanished, leaving him with his hand in the fire to be terribly wounded. Now, as this boy grew older, his wound grew deeper, until one day, life for him lost its reason. He had no faith in any man, not even himself. He couldn't love feel loved. He was sick with experience. He began to die. One day, 
A fool wandered into the castle and found the king alone. Now, being a fool, he was simple-minded. He didn't see a king. He only saw a man alone and in pain. And he asked the king, what ails you, friend? The king replied, I'm thirsty. I need some water to cool my throat. So the fool took a cup from beside his bed, filled it with water, and handed it to the king. And as the king began to drink, he realized his wound was healed. He looked in his hands, and there was the Holy Grail, that which he sought all of his life. He turned to the fool and said with amazement, how could you find that which my brightest and bravest could not? The fool replied, I don't know. I only knew that you were thirsty. It's very beautiful, isn't it? <laughs>